There are some who would suggest Jesus was a victim of circumstances, that he got in over his head and ended up crucified. Well, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. He knew exactly what he was doing. It had been planned from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world. You may recall from our study last week that one day the king will say to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And as Peter has written in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21, you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. From the very beginning, Jesus had planned to offer himself as the Passover lamb. And as we come to Matthew 26 this morning, we discover the time had come for that plan to be put into effect. We marvel as the plan unfolds and players in the drama of salvation wittingly and unwittingly follow a script that Jesus had written. We begin with a look at the plan. Matthew 26. And it came about that when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. It is Tuesday evening, and Jesus has just concluded a grueling day of confrontation and teaching. He's probably on his way back to Bethany for the night when he tells his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. He had told them this day was coming several times. Back in Matthew 16, 21, we read, From that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And in 17, 22 through 23, And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And 20, 18 
through 19. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Now he tells them that that day is just two days away. He is to be crucified on Passover, which, of course, is according to plan. Passover was the holiest of days for the Jews. It was the day they remembered how the angel of death had passed over their homes in Egypt. How they had been saved from death by sacrificing a lamb and placing its blood on the sides and top of their door frames. God had then ordained that lambs be slain and blood be spilt annually. Not only as a memorial, but more importantly, to anticipate the day when the true Passover lamb, the Lamb of God, would be sacrificed. Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 5-7 that Christ was that Passover lamb. And John the Baptist declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when he saw Jesus coming to the Jordan to be baptized and to begin his public ministry. That ministry was now coming to a close. It was time for the Lamb to be sacrificed. Jesus had made the plan, and now his enemies unwittingly plotted to fulfill it. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of a high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, no, not during the festival, lest a riot occur among the people. The Jewish leaders had been wanting to kill Jesus from the first year of his ministry and had discussed it often, and now they thought the time was right. The chief priests and the elders of the people gathered together in the court of the high priest Caiaphas and plotted how to seize him and kill him. We can only imagine the ideas that were shared that day. Can't you see them arguing back and forth, suggesting this and suggesting that? How, how should they take him? How should they kill him? Should they do it openly or should they make it look like an accident? Finally, they agreed they would do it by stealth. And they agreed they should wait until the festival was over. During the Passover, two to three million Jewish pilgrims flooded into Jerusalem, and many of them had joined in singing praises to Jesus three days earlier as he entered the city. So they decided not to do anything during the festival for fear of a riot, something Caiaphas wanted to avoid because his position as high priest was dependent 
upon his ability to keep the Jews under control and the Romans happy. Annas, his father-in-law, had been deposed by the Romans in 15 A.D. And even though Annas was still recognized by many Jews as the legitimate high priest, Caiaphas had been appointed high priest by the Romans. And he didn't want to lose the official position that he held. So the decision was made to wait until things were normal in Jerusalem before seizing Jesus and killing him. They're plotting, however, while preparing them to be major players in the drama about to unfold, wasn't exactly according to plan. Jesus would be killed, and they would have a hand in it, but he would be killed on Passover, according to the predetermined plan of God. On the day of Pentecost, some 50 days after Passover, Peter would declare, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and put him to death. Those who plotted against Jesus and had him put to death would be held accountable for what they did, but they didn't cause it to happen. It was part of God's predetermined plan. And Jesus knew it would happen long before they began their plotting. In fact, his body had been prepared for burial four days before the chief priests and elders met in Caiaphas' courtyard. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it upon his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and, and the, the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of in memory of her. Matthew, Mark, and John all record this incident. And Matthew and Mark both place it in their narrative after mentioning that the Passover was two days away. John, however, makes it clear that it actually happened six days before the Passover. Matthew and Mark apparently mention it where they do to highlight the fact that Jesus had been prepared for death before the chief priests and elders decided the time was right 
to kill him. It had been on Saturday evening that Jesus was at the home of Simon the leper in Bethany when Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, broke open an alabaster vial of pure nard and anointed both his head and his feet. Her act of extravagance was immediately condemned by the disciples. John tells us the ointment was worth 300 denarii, 300 days' wages. And the suggestion was made that it could have been better spent on the poor. Jesus countered that what she had done was a good thing. Referencing a rabbinic teaching that said, God allows poor to be with us always, that the opportunity for doing good may never fail, Jesus indicated that the opportunity to do something good for him would soon be gone. Whether Mary fully understand what she was doing or not, she was preparing Jesus' body for burial. It's possible that she did understand her actions in the light of his upcoming death. He had told them often enough that he was going to die in Jerusalem. But whether it was simply an extravagant act of love or a purposeful preparation for burial, it served a purpose for which Jesus was grateful. And it demonstrated once again that things were happening according to his plan. As did the disciple who led the others in calling Mary's outpouring a waste action when he went to haggle over the price of the Passover lamb. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they weighed out to him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, he began looking for an opportunity to betray him. Yes, it was Judas who objected to wasting 300 denarii on Jesus. And he sounded so righteous, saying it should have been given to the poor. John reveals the truth of the matter when he adds, Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. You know, what actually motivated Judas to betray Jesus, we don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. Some have suggested that his motives were pure, that he felt that Jesus was letting an opportunity slip by. And that he was simply trying to force Jesus' hand to to put him in a position where he would have to declare his Messiahship and lead the Jews in revolt against Rome. That's a possibility, and it could explain his suicide. He may have just been distraught by the way things turned out. Or he may have simply been totally disillusioned with Jesus and betrayed him because Jesus had, in his mind, betrayed his hopes and dreams. If he had been expecting an earthly kingdom like most Jews of his day, 
He may have simply turned on Jesus when he discovered that Jesus had no intention of restoring the kingdom of Israel. Or he may have just been greedy. The Apostle Paul observed that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it may have been Judas's love of money that motivated him. Perhaps he had been so upset by the fact that Jesus kept 300 denarii out of his reach by allowing Mary to waste the nard that he decided to get whatever he could, whatever his motivation. And it may have been a combination of both disillusionment and greed. He did go to the chief priests and elders and asked, what are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? They offered him 30 pieces of silver, worth 120 denarii, less than half the amount Mary had spent expressing her love for Jesus, and Judas accepted it. He settled for the amount the law required be paid for a slave, if the slave was gored to death by an ox. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him. And surprise, surprise, that opportunity came during the festival when the chief priests had said they would not take him. In fact, as we'll see next week, it was during the Passover meal itself that Jesus instructed Judas to go do what it was he had to do. Judas wasn't calling the shots here. And neither were the priests. Judas thought he had sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And the priests thought they had bought him for 30 pieces of silver. But no one can buy or sell the Passover lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world and to save us from the angel of death, came of his own accord. He trusted in the plan he and the Father had prepared from the very beginning and was obedient to the plan, even to the point of death. Death on a cross. If we would be saved by the Passover lamb, we must let him apply that sacred blood to the doorposts of our heart. We must trust and obey the shepherd who became the Lamb of God to save us. What a powerful, powerful confirmation that Jesus knows what he's doing. Don't allow anyone, anyone, to make you think that things are out of control. They're not. 
the foundation of the world, Jesus knew what he had to do. And he did it. And from the foundation of the world, he prepared a plan that would enable his rebellious sheep to come back into fellowship with the Good Shepherd. Our eternity has been secured from the very beginning through the predetermined plan of our Heavenly Father and His Son who became the Lamb of God. He trusted and obeyed the plan. Let's be sure we do the same. Let's stand.